You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to The Prologue, a weekly program that brings you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host for this hour. I'm an author myself. You can find my work on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and you can also find it on my personal website, www.dougdahlgren.com. Now, we call this show The Prologue because that's exactly what it is. And while those introductions are mainly for writers and their books, we love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell. They can be from other endeavors, other fields, uh, just whatever might be interesting for our listeners. And while we're speaking of the listeners, let me ask you this. Do you have a pen or a pencil and maybe something to write on that's handy? It wouldn't hurt to have that nearby. You see, there's going to be information throughout this program that you just might want to make a note of, like this, for instance. If you or someone you know has that interesting book or that story that needs to be told, I want you to reach out to me or have them do so through email. You can do it two ways. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. Send me an email, tell me about yourself or your friend and how to reach them, and we'll talk. See about getting you scheduled for a future show. So how about it? Email me today. And you know what? I'd love to hear from some of you folks out there what you think of the program. So drop me a line in that regard as well. Now, our guest this hour takes us back to the Old West. Born and raised in Missouri, his writing is based on not only what he has studied, but what he has lived. His first novel, Where the Good Wind Blows, Where a Good Wind Blows, is receiving high praise from readers who compare his work to that of the late Zane Gray. After earning a bachelor's degree in business administration from Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, our guest worked in journalism and the state agricultural department. Eventually, he was able to combine those interests as the assistant editor of Today's Farmer magazine, a publication out of Columbia, Missouri. He has also written for other magazines, most notably Roundup, a well-known Western writer's publication. He has written a children's book, Scooter and the Cowdog, and several other short stories. And we understand, and we're going to ask him a little later, about some other things that he's got in the pipeline, stuff that he's working on. History in our Western culture is apparently in this author's blood. He is a member of the Western Writers of America, the Western Music Association, the Wild West History Association, Montana Historical Society, Custer Battlefield Historical and Museum Association, and being from the Atlanta area now, he is a member of the Atlanta Botanical Garden, the Gainesville Branch, and also the Northeast Georgia Writers Group, and we've both got a bunch of friends in that organization. Now, staying true to his genre, besides writing and judging in Western writing competitions, he currently performs as an announcer for barrel racing events in Georgia and throughout the Southwest. Phil Mills Jr. is with us from one such event. The 2016 Silver Buckle Series 
at the Twin Elm Guest Ranch in Bandera, Texas, and we thank them for allowing us this hookup. Phil, welcome to the prologue, sir. Well, good morning, Doug. I appreciate that. That's quite an introduction. Well, goodness, you deserve it. I, and, uh, I, that, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Well, we thank you. But you're right. I'm in, in Bandera, Texas. It's a wet Bandera, Texas right now, and I've been out here uh, for some time now, and we were very dry for a long time, but now it's uh, we've had some heavy rains and some flooding over the last few days, so uh, some of what they've been getting in Louisiana, I think, has drifted west. Been kind of tough for them in Louisiana. I hope it doesn't get that bad where you are. No, I don't think so. I well, very think. good. Well, listen, where a good wind blows is actually set in Wyoming. Is that right? That is correct, eastern Wyoming. All right. Near, uh, near Cheyenne. They're an area called Chugwater, Wyoming, um, uh, Tom Horn country. Tom Horn. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Steve McQueen. Love that movie. Right. Uh, at what place in history does your story take place? It's in the late 1800s, um, uh, prior to um, the West, actually. Um, it was still open-range country, but there were a lot of homesteaders moving in, and, uh, of course, you had the conflicts with that. And uh, so late 1800s um, and in that eastern Wyoming area, east of the Laramie Range, uh, before it takes out across Nebraska and the prairie. All right. Now, your protagonist is a ranch foreman named Jake Summers. What uh, We don't want to give too much of your book away here, but we want to learn something about it. What can you tell us about Jake? Well, Jake uh, grew up uh, in uh, Texas, actually, and then moved west, uh, moved north, I mean, with uh, uh, Charlie Goodnight and one of the cattle drives, and uh, ended up in Montana. And there he met up with a uh, soon-to-be friend of his, and then they drifted back into Wyoming and found a, a, a job on a ranch, uh, the, the Box T, owned by my name, William Thompson, in uh, uh, eastern Wyoming. And uh, Jake is, well, he's old by cowboy standards. He's, he's in upper 20s, and um, he, he's realizing that the, the West is changing. He sees the uh, influx of sheep, for example. He sees homesteaders moving in. He sees the use of barbed wire, and he's, he's in a quandary about his future, and he loves the open west, the wild west, the, the wide open country, but he realizes that uh, that it's changing, and uh, he's got to make some decisions about his future. He can't keep cowboying forever, and he doesn't necessarily want to go into ranching, although it's certainly a possibility. So it's a conflict of human uh, uh, emotions and, and thought processes. I think that we all go through to a certain degree in terms of our lives and where we are and what we're going to do in the future. And he's kind of, that's where he's at. He didn't know what to do. And uh, so he's faced with some of these inner conflicts as he, as he goes along. So That's something that you bring out with all your characters in your book, uh, just really getting detail and people get to feel like they know who these characters are. And, and that, that, that's a real uh, good mark for you. I think that's why you're getting such high praise for this book. Well, now, thank you. every Western also has to have that, evil bad guy and in this yarn that's got to be harold winston uh is he based on any historical character well there's he's a kind of a combination of several historical characters that are that i read about and researched over time there were some really shady people out there and i tried to bring in various elements of each one of them into his character i really wanted you to dislike him almost from the beginning um because, like in any good story, you've got to have good and evil necessarily. You've got to have tension. Uh, you've got to have um, uh, something that uh, creates conflict that needs to be resolved. Uh, it can't be just a, just a story that's uh, pretty bland. 
So you need some conflict, a little bit of tension. He brings that, and I, like I say, I wanted you to be really uh, opposed to him almost from the beginning, and uh, I did, and I think it works. I, I had him actually worse than he actually is, and I had to tone it down a little because I said nobody could be quite that bad. So. Well, mission accomplished, say that. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a pretty bad dude. Uh, all of your characters, we mentioned this before, but they're so well-developed and, and very real to the reader. The dialogue, the mannerisms are important for a period piece like you write. How, how exactly do you research that sort of thing? Well, I have the, I have the interesting uh, problem, if you will, that I live in Georgia. I live in, uh, near Gainesville, and uh, you know, for someone living in the East, uh, you've got to research your stuff very well. And so I take trips to, to Wyoming, Montana, et cetera, to research and, and get to know that area as well as I can. And you need to know it very well. You need to know the types of grasses, the types of trees, <clears throat> everything that's going on, the rivers, the streams, everything. And, and as you're out there, and I like to go out there and sit in some of the small cafes and the like and just talk to the old-timers that are out there, get to know some of those people ver- firsthand, uh, and, and bring those into the story in terms of the characters and the like. And because, again, but living in Georgia, if you're writing about the West, you better have it right because uh, somebody out there is going to read it and say, well, that tree doesn't exist or it doesn't exist at that elevation or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I try to research everything very well. But on the character development, I try to get to know the people out there as much as I can. And, of course, you bring your own own experiences into it, uh, the people that you've known over the years, but uh, uh, that's why I try to do it the way I do it and uh, make it as, and, and the, in terms of scene development, I try to make it as, as real as possible, too, by being out there. I'll stop and take a tape recorder and, and actually record my feelings and what I'm seeing and the birds and, and the clouds and, and, and the grasses, et cetera, and, um, and what I'm feeling, then I bring that back, and I, I can hopefully put that in the story so you as the reader or can uh, feel what I'm feeling. You know, that's a that's a terrific point you bring out there. Today, with all this modern technology and everybody got their phone up in their face all the time, we forget to sit down and listen to our elders, and we lose so much by not doing that. I mean, these people aren't going to be here forever, and they have a wealth of knowledge, not only in, in the way things were back then, but the way they did things, uh, crafts and other things like that. Um, that's very true. I, I, the town, I grew up in a real small, t- I grew up on a farm near a real small town of Avalds, Missouri. And uh, there was a local hardware store, and the old-timers would sit in that store and almost every day and drink their coffee and tell their stories. And sometimes, you know, when I had a chance to be in town, uh, I loved to listen to them. Uh, my grandfather was also a well-known uh, farmer in the area, and they had what at that time was a, uh, they call it a, a loafers convention, and usually about February in which you threw peanuts on the floor, and the local housewives or some of the women's groups would make uh, pies and lunch, and the guys would come into town and just sit and play cards and have fun. And and uh, it was fun as a kid to just sit there and listen to the stories and some of the things. Now, some of them were wild yarns, and you understood that, but uh, it was very interesting. And uh, you're right, that hasn't done as much anymore, I don't think, because everybody's got a cell phone or a video game or something. So. Oh, exactly, exactly. The action in this thriller, though, it, it's kind of nonstop. You just keep everybody on the edge of the seat. Now, you've heard, no doubt, the comparisons to Zane Gray. How do you, as a writer, react to the praise of that nature? Well, I'm I'm overwhelmed by that. I, I am uh, I'm just humbled by it because uh, I'm, I'm me. I, I try to write the way I write. Although my mother was a big fan of Zane Gray, 
um, you know, things like Riders of the Purple Sage and others. But um, uh, I'm I'm humbled by that. I grew up on Louis L'Amour probably more than Zane Grey, although I was a fan of Zane Grey. Um, but uh, and there's some writers out there today that I'm big fans of. So, um, yeah, I, I'm humbled by it. It, uh, it, it. I'm honored that I would be even compared. You care to list off a few of your favorites? Oh, my favorites today? Well, Johnny Boggs, um, uh, Dusty Richards. Uh, there's several. I, I don't want to leave anybody out. But oh, uh, I understand. There, there's some really great ones out there. Richard Wheeler is a great one. Uh, the late Elmer Kelton here in Texas was a great one. Um, and so these guys are not as well known today, but they will be. In time, they will be. There's, some of them are younger guys, and, and they're coming along real well. So uh, Monty McCord is a friend of mine in Nebraska. He's very good. Um, so, yeah, there's some really great ones out there now. And, and that's one of the beauties of the Western Writers of America. We, you know, we're all writers, but we all are, are friends. It's like a big family, and uh, we compare notes and share information. Our meeting this past year was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and it was just great out to be out there in that atmosphere and, and compare notes and learn from each other. Outstanding. Folks, my guest today is Phil Mills, Jr. We're talking about his book, Where a Good Wind Blows. Real quick, where can folks find out more about your work? Well, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's available as an audio book. It's available as a hardback, uh, large print book. It's available as a general paperback book. Um, it's an e-book, any, any Kindle, any of the ways you want. Um, that's the best ways to go is either Amazon All right. or something like that. I have All a right. website, but it's not available there. All right. Again, the book is Where a Good Wind Blows, and we're going to be back with more from Phil after these messages. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back. You're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. My name is Doug Dahlgren, and before we continue with our terrific guest this morning, who is Phil Mills, Jr., please, I want to take just a second, if you'll allow me, to recognize a couple of very special groups that make up the growing audience that we have here on the prologue. First, it's those folks that are serving in the armed first forces of this country, wherever they are in this dangerous world. They're working hard to keep us safe back here at home. Uh, something that we often take for granted, that freedom that we have, that move around and do what we want. Freedom's not free, my friends. It's bought and paid for daily by those men and women who wear the uniform. So we thank them for what they do. And I also want to mention our first responders, the folks who are here at home, those police, fire, the EMT personnel who rush to your aid or mine when we need their help. I want to thank each one of them for all that they do to us on for us on a daily basis. Now, my guest this hour brings us his exciting Western novel, Where a Good Wind Blows. The author, Phil Mills Jr., is well-versed in this genre, but Phil, I've got a question for you. I find out that you grew up in Missouri, and that doesn't really sound all that Western. Uh, what was Fulton, Missouri like for the young Phil Mills? Well, Fulton was uh, like any small Midwest town. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, uh, I actually grew up in a town called the Vos, which was about 13 miles from Fulton, so it was even smaller than Fulton. And um, but it was very good. It was it was a small town. You knew most of the people, and uh, uh, I liked that community. I liked that atmosphere. Uh, but growing up in Missouri, my dad was actually born in Montana, and there, when as a child, we would go out west to visit relatives in the Cascade area, the Judith Basin country of Montana, Chestnut Valley area, south of Great Falls, and. Uh, the first time I saw the Rocky Mountains, I just was—it was almost like a religious experience. I just loved it and knew I had to eventually probably write about it and and be involved in it in some way. So um, that's how my interest in the West started to develop. Was uh, even though I was growing up in Missouri. Now I should point out, Missouri is not as as eastern as you might think. Uh, it's the home of Jesse James and the Pony Express and. And a lot of the wagon trains left uh, Kansas City and Westport and St. Joseph, Missouri. And, and of course, down in the uh, uh, Springfield area, you had the ball knobbers. And there was a, the, certainly the, um, uh, there was a lot of Western uh, involvement there. Cattle drives that came up out of Texas into the Sedalia, Missouri area in the early days uh, before the trains got up west. So uh, uh, Missouri is very much Western in, in, in many respects. You mentioned the small town atmosphere. What size family did you grow up in? Well, I have. I'm the oldest of five kids. Uh, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. They all live in Missouri now, and um, so yeah, I was a member of five. My mother though was an only child, so she always thought we hated each other because we fought all the time. <laughs> but, uh, it was a typical brother sister situation. We would defend each other to the death, but uh, if somebody from the outside came in, but we had our squabbles. But uh, it was fine. It was, we all still stay in touch. In fact, I'm headed up there in another month or so to do a big family get-together. So Outstanding. Now, what is it that really got you interested in the Old West as deeply as you are? Well, again, and my dad being born in Montana and going out there as a child, uh, and then my mother was so fond of Zane Gray, and uh, those books were always laying around. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I, I just like going out there and seeing the wide-open spaces and the 
you know, it's and of course you you know you grow up. I grew up watching Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and you know Tom Mix and and, and everybody and Hopalong Cassidy and so you see that on a Saturday morning, and, and then couple that with what you're doing out west and then uh, the family that I had out there and then you know I, I grew up on a farm where we had cattle and you know we had some horses and so you're always imagining uh, doing some of those things. So uh, that's where my interest really developed in the west. Are there any other writers in your family? Um, no, none that I know of. Uh, none, not not to the level that I am, at least. You know, they may dabble in poetry or something, but uh, no. Is there a particular time that, or a person that you can recall that got you interested or inspired to actually write? <laughs> well, I hate to say this. Uh, yeah, there was. <laughs> There's a couple of stories. I don't know where I should relate them or not. I guess I will. <laughs> uh, there was one. I had a seventh grade teacher, and I grew up in a, uh, the school I went to. It was a fairly good sized school, but it, it, there was only 37 in my graduating class. But from the first grade through my junior year in high school, I was in the same building. Now, that doesn't mean it was a one-room school. There was a gym or gymnasium, and one end was two-story, et cetera. But, uh, so it was a very small school. So the, the uh, Laws was very close to Columbia, Missouri and the University of Missouri. So we had a teacher when I was in seventh grade that was fresh out of college, and she was so inspiring and so encouraging to all of us in the class to write and use our imaginations and everything. So that was the first time that I really felt like, you know, and I remember her to this day as the, encouraging me to write and everything. But the real story, and the one that I probably shouldn't relate, is in my junior year in high school, we had an English teacher that was... Um, uh, the stereotypical English teacher, uh, short, hair and braids, et cetera, et cetera, and a very stern. I don't think I ever saw a smile. And we had bookmobile. We didn't have a library. The bookmobile would come around to our school, and we would pick out a book or two or three and read them and then do our book reports, et cetera. Well, and one day in class, she came, or she came into class. She said, you've had time to read your books. I want to know what your books are about. Well, I hadn't even read mine. I had no clue. And um, so when she gets to me, I just make up a story. I figure she's not going to read this book anyway, and has never read it. So I made up a story, and uh, the problem with lying is now I've got to write a book <laughs> report that matches the story I just told. And it has nothing to do with the book. So I wrote a book report on a story on a book that didn't exist. And um, she gave it back to me, and she says, give credit where you got this information. Well, how do you say you made it all up? So I, I gave it back to her and said, this is my work, and she gave me an A. And I figured, you know, if I could fool her as a writer, then uh, I probably had some talent and ability to put words together. And uh, I never did that again, though, I should point out. But, and I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. No. But pressure was on, and I, so I just made up a story, and then I wrote a book report to match the story that I told. It had nothing to do. I later read the book, and it had nothing. I wasn't even close. And uh, so that's why I first started to think, well, maybe I could, you know, write a little bit. Well, let's go back for a minute to a book that does exist, Where right. a Good Wind Blows. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned the protagonist and also the, the bad guy in the story, but there's other characters in here. You've got lively characters throughout, including a couple of love interests. Tell the folks what you can about Sam, and uh, you can explain that name. And also Molly is in there as a love interest. How does all that work out? Well, uh, well, we'll start with Sam. Uh, Sam is actually Sarah Alicia Meadows. Uh, that's uh, her initials, uh, S-A-M, and that's what her father called her, Sam, because she, uh, her mother passed away when she was born, and uh, so 
kind of grew up as a tomboy, and he realizes, um, and so he calls her Sam. And she could shoot and, and ride with the best of the cowboys out there. And uh, But he realizes when she's, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years old that uh, she needs a little refinement. So he sends her uh, to his sister and and uh, brother-in-law out in Nebraska to uh, teach school. And in those days, uh, they didn't want their teachers to be married. Uh, in fact, they didn't want them having boyfriends. They wanted them to be single young girls usually. And um, so they were devoted strictly to teaching and and uh, so anyway, she goes out there to just go to school, and I mean, not to teach school. And uh, anyway, she meets uh, some people out there, but she longs for it to get back, uh, back, uh, back west and, and the ranch. And, and part of the story is why she comes back, uh, uh, back to Wyoming. Uh, Molly, on the other hand, is a totally different background. Her mother, uh, uh, let's just say, works the streets of uh, St. Louis, inner city St. Louis. Um, she uh, grew up in, uh, in a very um, unsavory way, you know, an unsavory environment. Uh, she gets uh, in, a, uh, in a publication called The Matrimonial Digest, in which was at the time a, a mail-order bride uh, publication. And uh, she wants to find somebody uh, that she can get out of that lifestyle and get out of that thing. So she hooks up with a guy in, in Chugwater, Wyoming area, and um, he sends her money to uh, to come west, and um, she decides she wants to save some of the money. So instead of taking the stagecoach or the train or whatever, she takes a, a riverboat up upstream on the Missouri uh, as far as she can. Then she eventually takes a train on into Cheyenne, and then she meets up with Sam at the, the stage depot in Cheyenne. And um, anyway, but when she arrives. Uh, she finds that her uh, uh, suitor, the man who she's been corresponding with, has been uh, killed by Harold Winston and his men. And uh, so now she's she's stuck out there and she doesn't know what to do. Well, there's another cowboy that's a friend of Jake's that comes along and they kind of hit it off. And uh, so there's a budding romance there. And, uh, and, of course, Sarah shows up and or Sam shows up and... Uh, then Jake, uh, they meet. She meets Jake, but she thinks Jake and Tom, uh, Tom Scott is the other guy. Uh, she thinks they're he's they're working for uh, Harold Winston, and so that's an antagonist of her father. And she so she's anti. She has mixed feelings. She, she likes kind of likes the guy, but he's working for the bad guy, and uh, so she shouldn't like him. And in fact, at one point, shoots him. So um, so that's that's the two interests and. Uh, uh, it's kind of it's kind of implied. It, 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 I don't come right out and say all of that necessarily, but it's all implied. No, the book the book is quite clean. The language, and I appreciate that. That's kind of the way I write too. I don't think I'd know how to write that other stuff if I had to. But uh, well, I've had uh, I've had my book actually uh, read uh, in class uh, for ten year olds, and I've had it uh, read in class uh, here in Texas. In fact, uh, I had a teacher out here that read it. Um, uh, to her 13 and 14 year old students, and they they then signed up. I, I, at one point, like 12 of them were signed up to, to take turns reading it. Oh my! Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's I try to keep it that way, and uh, you know I've got grandkids, and I want them to be able to read it. Absolutely, that's the way to do it, folks. We're here this morning with Phil Mills Jr. His book is Where a Good Wind Blows, and we're going to be back with more from Phil after these messages. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to the prologue. We're here this morning talking about Where a Good Wind Blows. This is a Western novel by Phil Mills, Jr. Phil, this might be a good time uh, to give the folks out there your, you're at a book signing and you've got a, a, a potential reader that's just walked up. Let's hear that one-minute pitch on why they would enjoy your book. Well, it's based on a, a, a kind of a traditional Western in terms of uh, uh, an older gentleman who's been ranching, has been uh, forced off his ranch. Um, he is left for dead out on the prairie, and he is found by a, a local, another rancher's foreman, and taken in, and they, they heal him and get him under uh, back in good shape. And so that particular rancher says, "We well, look, this is not right. We're going to send a couple of guys over undercover and pretend to be their just down-and-out cowboys. They'll get some jobs with this bad guy and find out what's going on, and see if there's a way we can get your ranch back and so they do and they go over they get jobs and uh, they go to work for the guy well unbeknownst to them the rancher's daughter who has been teaching out in nebraska she's come home and her father's missing and uh she doesn't know where he is she knows he wouldn't just up and leave without telling her she thinks everybody out there is out to get her and her father and uh, everybody's a bad guy well she doesn't know these two guys are actually working for her and her father and so there's several run-ins, and uh, there's uh, battles, and there's everything from flash floods to prairie fires to stampedes to shootouts to a little of everything there. And, and uh, it, it keeps you going, keeps you on the edge of your seat, I think. And uh, and then in the end, there's there's even a little bit of a surprise at the end. So uh, it, it makes for good reading, I think. And it does, and the reviews are great. Uh, and folks, you're going to want to look it up. Tell them real quick where they can find this book. Well, it's available on Amazon. It's, you can get it as a, as a Kindle uh, read. You can get it as a paperback. It's available uh, from Five Star Publishing as a hardback large print book. It's available as an audio book from uh, Books in Motion out of Spokane, Washington. Or you can get, again, you can get all of that on Amazon. It's all available on Amazon. Or you can email me at uh, philmills at rightswesterns.com and, uh, and mention this program, and I'll be happy to work with you to get you a copy. Outstanding. Very good. Folks, uh, we're here with Phil Mills, Jr., and I want to tell you, to write in this particular 
genre and the time period that he writes into. You have to really be a fan of the culture and of the, the folklore, the way things were in our country back oh, 130, 40 years ago. Now, you said earlier that the, the good old farm boy from Missouri was influenced by your dad from Montana, but now I also found that your grandfather lived in the era of a very famous Western artist, a man named Charles Marion Russell. Now, who introduced you to this man's work, and how much did that influence you in getting into this culture? Well, Charles Russell is, uh, of course, it depends on who you, you like, whether Charles Russell or Frederick Remington. They were both painting about the same time, uh, but uh, Russell was out there and um, actually cowboyed. My grandfather cowboyed with him on some of the ranches out there, and uh, and I've got factual information that backs that up. Uh, but um, I saw, started seeing his work when, when I would go out there again, when my family would go out there to visit relatives. We went to some of the museums. Uh, the Charlie Russell Museum there in Great Falls, and, and I've been to the Almond Carter Museum in uh, uh, Fort Worth. And, and I might point out, and this might be a good time to mention, I'm also involved in the Booth Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Georgia. And if you've not had a chance to go up there and see that museum, it's outstanding. I'm a co-director of the Writers Guild up there. And it is one of the, probably the finest uh, Western Art Museum, certainly east of the Mississippi, and, and it's one of the best in the nation. It's affiliated with the Smithsonian. And, uh, again, so some of the, or the, I believe there's some Charlie Russell work there as well. So, uh, uh, But I, I started seeing his work when I went out there as a kid. And, and, and uh, of course, his great, great work, uh, you know, that's influential no matter where you see it. I've got prints of his own, prints of his that I keep in my home. And all you have to do is look at him, and you're inspired to write something. Outstanding. Now, folks, the references to Cartersville, Georgia, we are coming to you from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Phil is out in Bandera, Texas this morning. This show is heard worldwide right now. Uh, anywhere that somebody has a computer and is listening in, they're hearing us. So wanted to clear up that reference. Cartersville, Georgia, the Booth Western Writers Museum, is that correct? Uh, no, it's a Booth Western Art Museum. Western Art Museum, okay. Western Art Museum. And that's in Cartersville, Georgia. That's not too far... Georgia. A little bit north of Atlanta, but uh, on the way. It's well worth your, your time to go up there and see it. Uh, I, had, I had some photographer friends of mine went up there, and they said, well, we were expecting to see, a, see a, an office and maybe a, a strip mall, and it's quite a facility. It's the largest square footage of uh, contemporary Western art in the United States right now. Wow. So. And, and folks, on a simpler path, if you're too far away maybe to make it to Cartersville, Charles Marion Russell. Absolutely. Look that man up on your computer, and you will just really love. Uh, Phil mentioned Re Remington. You, everybody's familiar with Remington. Mr. Russell may not be quite as famous or well-known, but if you look at his work, you will wonder why, because uh, yeah. it's fabulous. He's uh, done bronzes. He's done some writing. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, you, you, it's well worth your time to check him out. Excellent. Very good. Now, let's get back to you. Um, you had all these influences and of course you had this what had to have been a natural love for the old west but at age 16 you took a trip over to eastern colorado outside of denver and you had a chance to look out to the west and you saw those mountains and apparently uh, it had a huge effect on you can you describe that a little bit for us tell us oh what it, your mind? It, I, I still get chills thinking about it when i first saw uh, well, when you're going out across Kansas, and you, you can almost see Pikes Peak at, at different points, and and then you start to see the Rockies uh, start to develop as you get closer. 
um, it, it was it was so awe inspiring to see it for the first time in the snow capped mountains and and uh, I just it, like I said earlier it's it's almost like a religious experience uh, you just know that this is this is special and uh, I mean I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks and of course we have mountains there in the east and the Blue Ridge and the Smokies and everything but do you see those Rocky Mountains and the, and everything is just awe inspiring and I was hooked. Absolutely, I, you know, I just, I just do. I love that area. You're not overrating it either. I'll tell you uh, from personal experiences. Just a year ago, a little over a year ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to fly out to Denver, and some friends that went with us took us out to the western side of the state, and then up, uh, you know, towards the Rocky, the foothills of the Rockies. We spent a week out there, and. What he's describing is what you do if you're a first-timer. And those of you out there that have been through this, you know exactly what we're both talking about. You stand there with your mouth open. And you really have to have about a week of just doing that before you can really get into it. Because here in Georgia, Phil lives up in an area that we call uh, the mountains in north Georgia. Um, They ain't mountains. You know, they're a little bit of hills or, you know, maybe something that you warm up on. But out there in Colorado and on out the Rockies and up in towards Wyoming and Montana, those are mountains. And well, when you go into uh, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or Jackson, Wyoming, you see the Tetons, uh, or you, you know, certainly you go into uh, uh, the Glacier National Park up in, in northern Montana and see some of the tremendous mountain ranges up there that, that actually move on up into uh, Canada. It's just it's incredible. If you haven't had a chance to see it, a person, it's worth a trip out there sometime on vacation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, your your character, the main character that we were talking about, the protagonist, Jake, Jake Summers. Jake. Mm-hmm. Now, he kind of has this same epiphany that you're describing when he first gets into Wyoming, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, again, I try to put some of my own feelings in these characters. Um in fact, uh, yeah, he appreciates what he sees and what is, what's going on around him. And there's a certain sadness to him, I think, that he sees some of this disappearing in terms of the open range. But he understands that it's inevitable and that you've got to change with it and go with it and uh, make the best of it. But, uh, yes, he, he uh, and, and Sarah's the same way. And that's why they kind of hit it off. They love that open country, that wide open spaces where you can see forever and uh it's like looking at an ocean out there on some of those prairies, and uh, you just see, and, for, and there's no trees. And, uh, well, why aren't there trees? Well, there were buffalo and there were prairie fires. It's whatever that kept all that down. But, um, uh, yeah, there, there's a certain inspiration there among him and her uh, as far as what they're seeing, and, what, and they appreciate it. And uh, I think that's what I try to bring out, at least, that they appreciate what they're seeing and what's what's going on around them. Oh, absolutely. And and there are still some areas out there, or correct me if I'm wrong, but some areas that still have that same look and still have that oh, same absolutely. effect on you, even 130 years later. Exactly. Especially in Wyoming and uh, uh, Montana. Those When they call it big sky country in Montana, that's very true. They're serious about it. You talked about your characters and what you try to bring out, parts of yourself and such. Uh, these characters, are they based on you in any shape or form other than what you just described, or are they based on people you've met? Uh, what do you use as the, as the basis for these characters? I think all of, all of the above to a certain degree. Um, I think there, there are points where Jake uh, reflects on 
his life, and, and he has a certain loneliness. And I think any anybody that was ever a cowboy was lonely at one time uh, because they're out there and it's so vast and so big, and you're such, you're just a tiny speck on it. So I think some of the loneliness and some of that, uh, you know, there have been times when we're all lonely, and I think it uh, some of that I, I brought out maybe a little bit about myself, but it, it maybe is more a reflection of when I was out there and and just. You're humbled. I mean, if you're standing there and all you hear is the wind and you see the grasses blowing and there's not a car in sight, there's not a town in sight, not a power pole in sight, nothing, you're, you've got it. I don't care who you are. You almost have to be humbled by it because you're so small at that point. And then you wonder about the pioneers that actually went out there and braved all that and and uh, went through it. And it just, it's a, it's a, it's an eye-opening, uh, inspirational time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we spoke about your favorite authors, the people you like to read. Uh, being influential in the way you write is a different thing. Are there any of those that cross over? Or when you're writing, who do you feel like you are trying to project? Who am I trying to project? Hmm. I don't know. I think I'm just trying to tell a good story. Make it as exciting as possible. Uh, keep a reader wondering what's going to happen next. I try to end each chapter making you want to go to the next chapter. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to project anybody as much as I'm just trying to make it interesting. Perfect answer to an awkward question. <laughs> I, I was going for something like maybe, you know, Matt Dillon or something of that nature. But, no, uh, no. But at any rate, no, the, the books do grab you. And uh, the folks that love Westerns, the folks that miss Lou L'Amour and that miss Zane Gray, you need to get this book, Where a Good Wind Blows. Tell them again real quick where they can find this book. Again, it's available on Amazon. It's available in every genre that you can, I mean, every can, uh, possible way you would want it, either large print, hardback, uh, audio book, uh, Kindle, e-books. Uh, it's available on all, all the above. And again, Amazon's your best go. Uh, it may be available in some areas on <coughs> BarnesandNoble.com. It was at one time. I, I don't know for sure now, but I do know it's available on Amazon. Or you can email me at filmills at rightswesterns.com. And that's rights as in writing a book, not R-I. It's W-R. W-R. There you go. There you go. Now, the good news, folks, is that we understand there is a sequel that's in progress. Real quick, tell us a little bit about that. Ah, well, that's funny. I never intended for there to be a sequel or even a third one, but I have an agent, and uh, she uh, said, no, 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 this is a story that needs to be continued. These characters, people want to know more about your characters, and uh, I can relate a story on that when we get a minute. But uh, So there is one. It's called Where the Wildflowers Dance, and uh, again, it's set in that same area, involves some of the same characters. There's a, another bad guy. you got to have uh, a tension in there and the good Absolutely. and the evil. Uh, so he's in there. And I've actually started work on the third one that will involve uh, the children of the uh, Sarah, Jake, and, and Molly. Well, now the second when can when can we look for this? You got a release date? Early, early next year. It is it is basically done. I'm doing some rewriting and, and editing on it now. Uh, publishers, uh, you're kind of at their whim, and uh, but uh, uh, I'd like to have it out by the end of the year. But more than likely, it'll be out early next year sometime. Very good, folks. We're talking with Phil Mills Jr. We're talking here today about Where a Good Wind Blows, a good Western novel you will enjoy. And we're going to be back with more from Phil after these messages. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back with the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're here this morning talking to Phil Mills Jr. from Bandera, Texas. Phil is actually a Gainesville, Georgia boy, but he's out there doing some announcing for some rodeo work. And, uh, Phil, we want to take a second and recognize the folks that you're staying with out there. Uh, it's a ranch, and they are kind enough to allow us to connect with you. Uh, what would you like to tell us about your hosts out there this morning? Well, the Twin Elm Guest Ranch is a great place for a family or just some individuals who would like to get away. They sit here in Bandera, Texas. It's been, uh, they've been entertaining international guests since 1930. Uh, in fact, uh, there's some folks from Italy here now. And um, so it's a great place. It, it gives you the spirit of the old west and, and 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 ranching and whatever. They have trail rides and and floating on the Medina River, and of course they have a swimming pool and campfires and and uh, hay rides and uh, there's Indian arrowheads that you can find when you go walking here and just all kinds of adventures and activities and uh, roping and et cetera. And then we have on every Saturday night through June through August they have a rodeo on at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, and that's what I've been fortunate to be out here and announce for them. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's a great place, and I would recommend it for anybody to come out and, and, and take advantage of it. Bandera is not a place you hear about every day. Tell the folks where they can find Bandera. Bandera is uh, west of San Antonio near Bernie and Kerrville, uh, Texas. It's known as the cowboy capital of the world. And uh, just ask anybody around here. In fact, I went downtown the other day, and there were horses tied to uh, hitch the trails in front of one of the local bars here in town. And uh, uh, somebody else was getting uh, money from uh, a change machine, one of those ATMs, a couple of horses out there the other day. So uh, you're in ranching country, you're in cowboy country, and again, they call themselves the cowboy capital of the world here. And But it's west of San Antonio, about 40 miles or so, 40, 50 miles. And uh, beautiful, the hill country of Texas, it's beautiful out here. 
And uh, if you haven't been to this area, it's well worth coming in. And, of course, you'd want to stay here at the Twin M Guest Ranch. It's what I hear. I've got a cousin that actually retired out there, living in Bandera. Shout out to you, Tom. He's a transplanted Chicago cowboy, and uh, he just loves it. And his sister, Suzanne and Bill, are retired military. They're out in the San Antonio area. So everybody brags about it. It must, it must be beautiful. Oh, it's nice. It's very nice. Now, where a good wind blows was recognized as a finalist in a certain award back in 2010. And then again, the audiobook that you previously mentioned won an award that same year. Tell us a little bit about these. Well, the uh, Western Writers of America, they have, each year they have their Spur Awards. That's kind of their Emmy Award, their Grammy Award, if you will. It's for the top Western writing in the country. Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm an active member of that organization. Uh, but back in 2010, I was not. I was just a um, trying to get started as a writer, and um, I produced a manuscript, and I pitched it to a audiobook company. This was before it was ever published as a paperback or any other means. And I pitched it to an audiobook company and in Spokane, Washington, and they liked it. Uh, they published it as an audiobook, and I'll be darned. In my very first effort, I won a Spur finalist award. I didn't win the actual Spur, but I was a runner-up uh, to. Um, a spur award for best western audiobook that year and uh, if i never get another award that's a pretty exciting award to get <laughs> and highly i was highly pleased to get it. oh absolutely and uh, so uh that was uh, that year and then of course i've had some other recognition along the way but that was that was a big one and then i've since been a spur judge uh for short novels and uh, short stories in that category and mass market paperbacks outstanding you got you got recognition for your children's book scooter the cowboy. Well, well, not quite yet. I'm hoping on that. Uh, it's uh, it's in the process of being published, and it's set in the Bandera area. In fact, uh, it's and I wanted something for my grandkids, and I wanted it something to kind of teach a little life lesson uh, about listening to your parents and paying attention and doing as you're told, and making your bed, etc., and without just overwhelming them with it. And uh, I think this story tells a good story and. Uh, in fact, I'm already working on the sequel to it as well. And uh, But it's fun. It's about a border collie that is semi-retired on a ranch, and uh, uh, this little girl comes to visit her with her poodle uh, that's never got his feet wet or dirty. Uh, they come visiting uh, in Bandera area on a ranch, and uh, they get into some trouble, and Scooter kind of saves the day, and, and they learn some lessons there. So it should be fun. I'm anxious. To, and it's been illustrated by Michael Melson, who is a great, oh, great. Western artist uh, there in Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, he's actually a fireman, I believe, over in Milton, but uh, he's a great Western cowboy artist there in, in Gainesville, and he did a fantastic job of illustrating it. Outstanding. Very good. You know, when you pick somebody to read your book, that's a critical thing, too. An, an artist illustrated is important, but somebody to read to make sure they get the right inflection and all that for the audio book, that, that had to be a tough decision. It was well, and they did. Uh, they picked the person for me. Uh, they picked Gene Ingeny. Uh, I think he's at Washington State University, and his voice is just fantastic. And I was very curious because you have females and, and males, and you have older people and younger people. I wondered how he would change his voice and everything to do uh, do that. And he does a fantastic job of that. Um, so I couldn't have had a better person uh, actually read the book. And the people interested in this audio book, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Excellent. All right. Very or good. through booksinmotion.com out in Spokane Valley, Washington. 
Okay, great. Now, again, we want to shout out to the Twin Elms Guest Ranch. They're running the rodeo, the 2016 Silver Buckle Series, and you are the announcer. Now, how long have you been doing that? <laughs> well, I tell you, I retired uh, back in uh, July, uh, July 1st of 2015, but prior to that, I saw on Facebook that there was a, a rodeo announcer school in Fort Worth, Texas, the Chad Nicholson Rodeo Announcer School in, in conjunction with the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. And uh, I decided to, uh, I wanted to go, just for the fun of it. And uh, so I decided to go, and that particular winter was the year that we had this big snowstorm in Atlanta. Some of you may not know about that or remember that in which uh, there was, uh, they called it uh, Snowmageddon or whatever they called it. Oh, yes. Which everything got tied up. Well, I couldn't get to the airport to get out to Fort Worth, so I ended up having to skip a year. So then in uh, January, February of uh, 2015, I went to Fort Worth and uh, actually got to go through the school. And uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I ever thought I would uh, uh, get involved in announcing. It was fun to go to the school, meet these guys, but uh, and I thought, well, I might be able to use some of this in my writing someday. Then in spring of this year, a good friend of mine, Mac Guillen, who was a great announcer out of Meridian, Mississippi, called me and he said, Phil, I'm doing a barrel race in Odenville, Alabama. Would you come over and, and be interested in helping me do it? And I said, sure. Well, Wendy Green-Reed, who is um, out of uh, Georgia, um, is doing the Lucky Run Barrel Race Series uh, in, in there in Georgia. And then she does one in Tennessee, and I believe there's going to be maybe another one in Alabama. I'm not sure. Anyway, she asked me if I would announce her barrel races for the rest of the year, and and so I said, well, sh- sure, I'd love to. And then I had an opportunity to come to Texas and announce uh, a rodeo uh, here at the Guest Ranch in Bandera, Texas, Cowboy Capital of the World. I said, well, that'll look good on the old resume and give me some experience. So the next thing I knew, I'm busy. I am really busy, and I've, I've had to turn down a couple other opportunities uh, because I am so busy, so... Uh, uh, it's been fun and, and a great experience, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Oh, I'm sure it is. And, and you know what? I'm not an envious person, but now you're the second on my list, people that I envy. I got a friend up in Flowery Branch, Georgia, that does high school football play-by-play in the local area up there. Uh, that is cool. And then you get to go around and working with athletes, and cowboys are athletes big time. Uh, that's that's just a fun thing to be around. Closest I had to it was calling a couple of uh, county finals for some swimming back a number of years ago. Uh, but at any rate, I do. I yeah, no, I, well, you're right. They are athletes. Even the bell racers, a lot of people take that for granted. Uh, but I've seen girls get stepped on. I've seen them get thrown. Uh, I've seen them run into barrels and, you know, really hurt their shins. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not as it's glamorous but yet it's it also is a very athletic as well and and i don't know that some of these athletes get the credit they deserve no no they don't but uh, if you watch a barrel racing particularly that's some g-forces these these girls can go into the air force real quick that's right all right got a couple of coincidences. we're running out of time but i got a couple things we share a birthday uh, didn't didn't spring this one on you but we're both born on july 4th we're a couple of years apart i'm your senior but uh <laughs> I've enjoyed having July 4th as a birthday. I always had my day off from work. Uh, I don't know about you. but how, Well, how, I don't know about you, but I always thought all those fireworks and everything were for me. I didn't realize that we were, you know, for a long time that was, we were celebrating a national holiday. I there thought you go. watermelon and picnics were just for me. So we're, we're uh, 
we're Simcoe in that. We both got July 4th. The uh, other thing is we mentioned earlier off the air, the Decatur Book Festival. They do a book festival here every year, and it uh, turns out you and I were there not only the same year, but the same day within about three hours of each other on the same stage. And we did not know it, uh, but there was something yeah, I found. you mentioned that. That, that. that was, wow, what a small world. Oh, I know. And, uh, and again, if, so, if you haven't been to the Decatur Book Festival, it's well worth going out there. So, oh, yeah. Big time yeah. fun. Big time fun. There's a lot of other things. We're running out of time here, but there are things that you are still involved with that people need to look up and find out about you. You're a judge in a lot of writing competitions. You're a co-director of the Booth Writers Guild. Uh, Phil is into a whole lot of things, plus this great writing that he does. Phil, is there anything that I've left out this morning that you really need to bring forward? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. I'm working on a couple other novels that are down the road a little bit. Uh, one of them called Feast of the Wolves, based on a, a really rough winter in Montana, and then another one called Bend the Blades of Grass, and which is based on a little girl that's uh, left uh, orphaned uh, after a prairie fire and uh, is found by the Comanche Indians in West Kansas. So I'm working on those and uh, hope to have those out in the next couple of years or so. Well, Phil, we thank you very much for being here and being a guest. Where a Good Wind Blows. It's a great book, folks, a great Western novel, and we hope everybody out there listening is going to get their copy ordered today. And listeners, also, I want you to tell your friends about the show, how they can listen to the podcast at any time they wish, on demand, by going to americaswebradio.com, following the links. Now, that's it for this hour. Again, I want to thank our dear friend, Mr. Phil Mills, Jr., from Bandera, Texas, this morning. Uh, thank you for being on. We've enjoyed hearing about your book and all that you're into. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And for now, for my guest, Phil Mills, Jr., and for myself, Doug Dahlgren, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Phil's, maybe it'll be one of mine. And I'll see you all again in 167 hours. Take care. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.